Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 247, Drug-Induced Nutrient Deficiency. In today's episode, we are going to be covering common pharmaceutical drugs prescribed in the U.S., deficiencies driven by those drugs, and alternative solutions to drug therapy and how we can use supplements to actually replete and correct the problem in the first place. Yes, that's always one of my favorite things to talk about when people say, okay, you know, I eat a really clean diet, I do the food as medicine thing, but why would I need supplements? And it's that concept that your body biochemically demands nutrients to function. And so if there is a symptom of imbalance in your body, it makes sense that targeted nutritional support to replete that deficiency could in turn correct that symptom as well as prevent future symptoms from popping up. And we see sure. that time and time again, Becky, right? Yep. Where it's like we correct maybe a biotin deficiency and an individual's hair um, loss stops and they start to actually regrow some hair, but also they get improved nail health, their thyroid goes back online and their insulin sensitivity is enhanced again and their metabolic health. So often we see when we use food as medicine and targeted nutritional support in supplemental form, we're really driving a biochemical pathway that has a multitude of synergistic outcomes. And, you know, let's face it, medications exist because they do save lives. Medications are often not multifunctional. They're often sole or one function intention of focus. And they often interfere with a pathway or a feedback receptor. They often will block a production pathway. And in doing so, yes, they can band-aid that volcano or block the symptom that's being expressed. So in some sense, resolve it. But in that mechanism of action, they're likely depleting or driving deficiency. And the concern is we see this medical mishap of polypharmacy, meaning multiple drug interventions because drugs block biochemical pathways, making other undesirable side effects, requiring other drugs (laughs) to treat and so forth. And so the funny joke I'd always say is like, okay, you know, your doctor gives you a statin drug because your cholesterol levels are too low. And in 90 days you come back and your cholesterol levels look better. And your doctor pats you on the back and says, okay, the statin drug is doing its work. And you say, oh, but doc, I, I, I can't golf anymore. My, my um, bicep is really just wasting away and aching a lot, or I can't play basketball with my buddies anymore. I'm feeling really fatigued. I'm, I'm noticing cognitive impairment and I'm noticing depression and I'm also having um, erectile dysfunction, you know? So then the doc's like, okay, well, now we have four other boop, boop, mm-hmm. boop, boop prescriptions. Now we're going on the SSRI. Now we're going to make sure 
sure that we're putting you on the erectile dysfunction drug and, and so forth. And so we have to be mindful of all medications that we take driving deficiencies. And today's conversation is going to highlight the most commonly prescribed, um, the nutrients that you must take if you are on these medications, and then considerations on nutrients as a first line of defense. Yes. And ideally, we're opting out of that vicious cycle of, of polypharmacy with a lot of these interventions that we'll talk about. Um, before we get into it for today, let's just give listeners some updates about what's coming down the pipeline. Yes. So we have a archived, evergreen, always available keto food as medicine program that we are launching in August. So August 1st, you will be able to purchase the 12-week food as medicine keto class that we did in May. We have archived all six of those videos, about an hour and a half in length, each of them. So tons of video content. And then there's also going to be downloads and handouts and recipes and grocery lists and protocols. So a lot of materials about what four to five handouts per six classes would you At say, least. if not yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. Then there's the introduction tier, which includes another video plus more foundational handouts. And then there are also resources. So we may talk about in the class, a particular CBD oil when we're talking about HPA axis and insomnia. And we're going to link then, you know, a particular uh, product as well as a discount code, or we might be linking our um, something in the Amazon store if we're talking about another tool or intervention. So you're going to get access to the entire dashboard, which is all the videos, all the handouts, all the resource links, which also go to maybe a YouTube video of ours or resource links could go to a blog or a podcast episode or a naturally nourished supplement. So you're going to get all of this kind of in a tight controlled container and And it's going to be available for you through the lifespan of our website. So pretty much forever, um, instead of for those of you that have done the 12-week program, those classes actually get deleted after two weeks following the completion date. So if you've participated in a past Food as Medicine Keto class, this is the most updated, new, and improved content that we did May of 2021 um, that you can get now at the archived program. It's only $99 instead of $299 which is what we charge for the live. And the only variance there is that you don't have the live class. You're watching the archive and then you're not on the Slack channel, which is our active membership channel, which we only do during the active uh, sessions. And then you don't have the exclusive discounts for naturally nourished supplements and labs, but you're saving $200 on the program and all the same content and so much value packed into that less than hundred dollars spend. I think that this would be a fantastic consideration if you gained some weight over the last year and a half with pandemic, if your eating has just fallen off kilter and you want to reignite your relationship with food as medicine and clean out your pantry and be inspired again by food goals, we provide two to three food as medicine goals per six classes. So you get to kind of build your tool belt as you progress through the program. We touch on a ton of information on functional medicine from hormones to detox to various forms of fasting and the influence of our allostatic load of our stress demands and so much more. I think you all will love it. If you haven't bought bit the bullet yet, I definitely think this is the best time to do it at this price point. Our next live program is going to be in January of 22. So don't wait till then go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and grab a purchase of our evergreen keto program. Yes. 
Um, and then coming down the pipeline in September is a new program. So yeah. it's been a while since we've uh, kicked off a new program. I guess the, the last one was Adrenal Rehab. I think that was 2018, yeah. wasn't it, Becky? Or, or early kitchen. 2019. Mm-hmm. And so this is naturally nourished food as medicine for the whole family. This has been in the workings for a while and a high request from our listeners and our social media followers. So this is going to provide foundational food as medicine information, kind of like a 101 platform, breaking down carbs, proteins, fats, what is a whole food, um, you know, good, better, best food choices, grocery shopping, meal prep and planning, as well as nutrition through the life cycle. So all the way from infertility through pregnancy, through breastfeeding, through baby led weaning, through toddlers, and being a taste adventurer. Stelly's going to star in one of those videos whereas Noah will be eating foods in baby led weaning uh, all the way through adolescence and teens and ADHD and neurological conditions into hormonal transition and perimenopause and andropause for men through gentle aging, discussing things like heart disease and bone health and so much more. Um, it's an ambitious thing to bite off, but we're super excited. It's going to be very comprehensive, at least 15 videos in this program and a lot of resources and content to support the whole family with whole foods, food as medicine, and everyone optimizing their nutrition status to feel amazing in their bodies. We will be offering that as a pre-sale over Labor Day, so stay tuned and make sure you keep an eye out for that. Yes. All right, let's do it. Let's dive in just talking about some of the hard facts maybe on um, prescribing medications in America and maybe a little bit on why prescriptions fall short of being actual solutions. Yeah. So 70% of Americans are on at least one medication and 20% of Americans are on five or more. So obviously there's a lot of a range of how many are on two or three medications, but 20% of Americans are on five or more drugs, 70% on at least one medication. And the issue again is that medications, generally speaking, are going to cover not correct imbalance in the body. And this can often drive two or three or more undesired side effects or new symptoms. So medications generally work through gene activation um, or through major pathway inhibition or blocking pathways in our biochemical uh, reactions of the body or through competition or nutrient depletion. And so a functional medicine approach is going to be very different from pharmaceutical. We think treating the root cause of a chronic condition, and we think of the system of the body. We think of, if we're thinking root cause, we're looking at reducing inflammation, optimizing microbiome, providing the tools in the tool belt to produce hormone, um, looking at reducing oxidative stress. And so we're thinking of the system itself of the whole body approach and working with the terrain, if you will, versus the symptoms, and then just looking where that symptom's expressed and where we can put in a blocker or a Band-Aid. And, and that's where we don't see whole body balance, but we see kind of whole body distress or imbalance. And I think that's the big thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love the the functional approach where we're thinking more systems versus symptoms. I think that's huge. Um, so I feel like it's been a while since we've done one of our oh so popular 
three nutrients of focus they episode. are so popular yeah, we never really know reason. why <laughs> we're always know. like aren't these okay cool yeah I like them um so let's maybe just break down for listeners on nutrients why someone would be deficient in the first place and then what those trends can tell us as functional medicine clinicians Yes. So when we look at a deficiency pattern, and this is a common question, like I eat really healthy, why would I have a nutrient deficiency? And it's like, well, you're coming to me to manage a said condition. (laughs) So clearly there's something in a burnout or increased demand. And that's the first thing to acknowledge. We can have increased demand as a driver for a nutrient deficiency. So increased demand could be the demand seen from growing a baby in your body, right? Fueling a human um, through the breastfeeding process. That's an increase increased demand of your nutrients. We can see increased demand through exercise performance. If we're stressing our muscles and tearing our tissues and we need more nutrients in that repair process and we're burning through through demand, right? We can see demand based on lifestyle with stress. If we're not getting ample sleep, if we're running on high adrenaline, we know that that fight or flight sympathetic nervous system response is going to have higher glucose levels. There's going to be higher blood pressure. All of that drives oxygen oxidative stress and is going to create demand pathways in the body. We also know stress itself can wear and tear on the gut so it can drive demand. Um, so increased demand is huge. Any other things I'm missing in demand, just the aging process, right. demand from recovering from surgery. Um, yeah. High intensity athletes, I think are a big, uh, population there too. And even growth and yep. development yep. for kids. Sure. So demand is one. And then the second area of a nutritional deficiency that could be a driver of why would be inadequate absorption or utilization. So this would be maybe someone that has low hydrochloric acid in their stomach. They're not going to be able to absorb amino acids because they're not able to break down their proteins because you need that HCL at an optimal level to activate the enzyme that aids in protein digestion. So there could be inability to absorb based on digestive juices, so lacking enzymes, lacking the correct pH in the stomach. There could be absorption issues if you've had a bowel resection, of course, and you're missing Mm -hmm. some of that tissue where you would absorb said nutrients. Um, We could also have inability of utilization, which could be more based on genetics. Like if we have MTHFR, for instance, methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme interference, then they're going to need that methylated folate versus that synthetic folic acid. Um, So that utilization would demand the biological or bioavailable form. Um, Also absorption could be, of course, impacted as we'll talk about today by medications. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. So we talked recently on PPIs and Tums and antacids playing a role with driving nutrient deficiencies, but so many drugs as we'll cover today are going to drive absorption issues or competition for nutrient absorption. Sure. Um, And then our food system, you know, knowing that our soil is no longer as rich in certain nutrients and minerals, I think can be a big driver. So inadequate intake would be like the third area of of focus, whether it's that we're not consuming nutrient dense enough food, or maybe we're in a food jag, or, you know, we are keto for, you know, five plus years, and maybe we are missing out or, or, you know, favoring one protein over another. Yeah, or maybe we've done an AIP or, you know, MRT type mm-hmm. of approach of inflammatory food reduction and we haven't reintroduced those foods in our gut healing protocol and now we have those kind of holes or pockets for the nutrient deficiency. So yeah. 
in it's basically increased demand inability to use or absorb and then also inadequate intake those are the big things and so when i look at a micronutrient test I like to, as a functional medicine practitioner, look at the story of the individual. So not just, okay, you're deficient in carnitine and glutamine and glutathione and selenium, and here's four different supplements, boom, boom, boom. Yes, I'm probably going to prioritize supplements and food, food as medicine to get you out of that depletion state into an optimal function for your body. But I want to know the why, not just the what. And that's the mm-hmm. other, I think, really important part of a good functional medicine approach. Approach. So when I look at an individual that has low carnitine, um, maybe this is an individual that was keto for three plus years and is under high stress. So we know that carnitine is an essential nutrient that plays a role in ketone production. So that would make sense that that individual may need to supplement with carnitine if keto is still a supportive approach for their metabolic health and other areas of focus. But they probably have, that would be that increased demand of depleting carnitine through the production of ketosis. If they're low glutamine, that's telling me a story about their stress and their gut. So likely they are depleting the enterocytes, the gut cells, and really wearing away at that gut lining through a high fight or flight stress response. We know that stress literally like drills holes in your gut. And uh, then we know that glutathione and selenium are antioxidants. So there's probably also some toxicity with this individual, or it's just the increased stress from maybe their activity factor or life cycle that they're getting that oxidative stress. So we're looking at harnessing their stress response. We might bring in something like adaptogen boost for that individual, you know, which doesn't, it has cordyceps, rhodiola, and panax ginseng. So none of those are those direct Mm -hmm. nutrients, but by bringing in the adaptogen boost, we're going to support reduction of that oxidative burnout to that individual. We're going to harness the adrenal feedback of the fight or flight stress response to not deplete that glutamine as much, and also the energy production of the carnitine cycle. So they may be a candidate for boost and burn, which is that two gram carnitine in a liquid form. They may be a candidate for GI lining support as well for that glutamine and cell antiox for the glutathione and maybe thyroid optimizer for the selenium. But along that, I want to think of something that's foundationally going to address the issue at hand. And that's where I would think the adaptogens would be one that would be a really good pillar as well. And that's why the why matters. Yep. Um, And that's a lab that I really love reviewing with clients for that reason, that there's always this direct, like, that's me, that's me, that's me. When we go through each nutrient and the symptoms that they might be experiencing, we can tie you know, things like chronic fatigue that's been unresolved or infertility, or maybe this individual is like picking up every cold, every, you know, season, or has just gone through a major life stressor, like growing a child or, you know, having long haul COVID or something like that. And we can really pick up all of these rocks and and tie together all of the symptoms that, you know, weren't making any sense in the first place. Most definitely. So let's talk Becky for a second about like what the blood test offers and the mechanism of it. Yeah. So the, the panel that we run, um, the spectrocell micronutrient test is looking at 37, 37, excuse me, um, different vitamins and minerals and your body's functional status. We're looking at intercellular 
levels versus a serum test, like, you know, doing your serum, maybe vitamin D. And if you're lucky, B12 might get run at your annual physical. Um, and that's just what's kind of running through your blood at that given moment. Doesn't really tell us about like what's actually reaching the inside of our cell. So it's done through white blood cell proliferation, which sounds really fancy, um, but essentially they are using a culture medium or a cell medium that uh, they'll individually extract each of these nutrients and see how long it takes your cell to die. And based on that, that tells us that maybe your cell you know, had some reserves, but not a whole lot. Maybe your cell had ample reserves of that particular nutrient, or maybe none at all, and the cell died off right away. Yep. So 37 vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and amino Mm -hmm. acids all covered with that. And it is a blood draw. Uh, We'll put a link for the micronutrient test in our show notes. And when you order that on our website, that comes with a customized email review from Becky or myself, which will help to weave together your individual story or the trends that we see, some lifestyle support. So if we see chromium and vitamin K as a functional deficiency, we're looking at insulin resistance and blood sugar demand. So we're looking at regulating your glycemic index and and so much more. So uh, check that out in the links in the show notes. Yes. And it's such a good test to run. I think at least annually would be a good timestamp for just kind of a revamp of like, okay, do I need to overhaul my supplement list? And oftentimes too, I'll do that one with clients who come in overwhelmed, like taking like 40 different formulas or 40 different individual supplements. And oftentimes we can kind of cross a few things off the list, make goals of repleting with food, and then find, you know, direct interventions that are going to be more supportive of their body. Yes. Uh, All right. So we hit a little bit on gene activation, nutrient depletion from direct competition or displacement with medications. Let's just touch on pathway inhibition and just other mechanisms of how medications can actually drive nutrient deficiency in the first place. Okay, yes. So one mechanism is that medications can interrupt endogenous production of a nutrient. So this means that a medication is going to interfere with the endogenous meaning inside of your body, the way that your body produces something. So a prime example of that is how statin drugs block HMG-CoA reductase pathway, which is the same production pathway of CoQ10. Another mechanism is that medications impair the absorption in the GI tract. So this is where we would see that impaired absorption, like I mentioned in the deficiency trend of um, you know, inability to absorb or use, right? So this is where we'd see medications like antacids, uh, PPIs, so over-the-counter or prescribed, and um, that deficiency of B12 uh, would be a big one as well. We see that medications can create reactive oxygen species or basically more free radicals so they can actually use up or deplete antioxidants. We see this with NSAID drugs. So from Aleve to naproxen sodium to Advil, these are going to create more reactive oxygen species. And then um, we see these to drive more demand for like, for instance, cysteine as a tool. Um, And cysteine is in that N-acetylcysteine. So if we think of like the cellular antioxidants, 
A good example of this is why we recommend against using NSAIDs following a fever or to regulate a fever, for instance, and especially against even Tylenol or acetaminophen, different mechanism than an NSAID, but that also depletes antioxidants. We see a direct depletion of glutathione. So especially following like a child's vaccine, like, um, you know, a standard vaccine schedule, we advise against NSAIDs and acetaminophen because both of those can hinder the immune system's ability to regulate the oxidative stress from the adjuvants or the toxins in the vaccine used to stimulate the immune system. You want the body to do that on its own. So you could also, on the other end, provide the antioxidants to help support. So doing some like liposomal glutathione for a couple of days, some vitamin C that we've talked about. Plus, yep. Yep. And and cellular antioxidants would be key. Um, medications can also increase urinary excretion of nutrients. So this is big, especially in the world of diuretics as our blood pressure medications. Um, this is where minerals are really at risk for depletion trends. We can see that medications can alter the gut microbiome. So of course, antibiotics would be the biggest one that comes to mind there. And then we look at the nutrients that are manufactured in the colon by your gut bacteria. So we see vitamin K deficiency, which vitamin K plays a role with calcification of soft tissues. So that could play a role with heart disease trends or vitamin K also plays a role with insulin sensitivity, which could drive higher risk for diabetes just based on that gut microbiome being hit from the antioxidants. So to support vitamin K as a root cause, we're looking at probiotics, right? And then our vitamin D balance blend has that K1, K2 in there. So you're actually getting that synergistic effect. And then we also know medications can impair directly mitochondrial function and cellular respiration or energy production in the body. Okay, so a lot of different mechanisms and a lot of the medications will actually hit on multiple mechanisms and and drive deficiency that way. Um, Let's talk a little bit about just background on medications in the U.S. What are the top five drugs right now and, and what are the primary concerns? Okay, so the top prescribed drug is atorvastatin, which is the generic of Lipitor, which is a statin drug, followed by levothyroxine, which is Synthroid, uh, followed by lisinopril, which is going to be an ACE inhibitor medication. So that could be, that's the generic name again. So there could be other name brand under that. Gabapentin has moved up actually quite rapidly, and um, Neurotin is the prescribed name brand of that. Gabapentin is being used a lot for anxiety and for pain regulation. Um, So obviously, I haven't done the back and forth of all these, but obviously the natural tool would be to go for bioidentical GABA in the form of GABACalm to support instead of on a receptor level like the Gabapentin works. Um, we see, um, amlido- am- I can never say this one, amlodipine, amlodipine, which is a calcium channel blocker, another blood pressure medication or Norvasc is a name brand for the amlodipine and then, uh, hydrocordo- hydrocodone and acetaminophen. So this is a like Norco or a Vicodin opioid, right? Combination of uh, Tylenol with codeine. And then um, we see amoxicillin or amoxil as an antibiotic and omeprazole or Prilosec. So I think it gave you more than five, but that just gives you kind of the different areas of focus up from statins to um, the thyroid and metabolic and obesity related conditions to blood pressure and anxiety and to pain reducers, antibiotics and um, PPI. 
Yeah, we talked a lot in that um, recent heart bl- heartburn and reflux episode um, about the concerns with PPIs. So that would be a good one to go back and listen to after today's episode. Yes, we'll link that because yes. that purple pill there are just yeah. far too many people on for sure. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of antidepressants, I bet things have skyrocketed this past year. Yeah, I was actually shocked that only the um, gabapentin showed right. up because actually there was an increase of SSRIs at 37% increase in 2020. And that makes upwards of 38 million Americans on an SSRI or SSRNI drug, which is quite remarkable increase. Yes. And, and, um, I definitely have seen that in our client populations for sure. And have been supporting wean now that we're through already kind of yeah. the rough period and, and trying to get them off that so that we don't see undesirable, you know, side effects in future, but even things like weight gain, just like general numbness, yuck kind of feeling blah. Maybe we don't feel sad anymore, but we feel apathetic um, yeah. and, and flat, just kind of flat. Yeah. Um, low libido being a, a big symptom of concern, um, agitation on the other hand, feeling more like keyed up, um, IBS, just kind of general illness and feeling of, of yuck, dry mouth, blurry vision. There are so many side effects. Of yeah, those. absolutely. And so, you know, in just a period of four to six months of use, individuals can start seeing some of these side effects. And as I always say, when I'm working with a patient, again, a medication is a tool. I always come at this in a compassionate approach of let's build up the legs of the stool before we pull out the seat kind of approach in the sense of if we're on an SSRI drug, let's make sure that your B vitamin status is optimized. Let's make sure, because these are going to play a role in neurotransmitter production, right? So we're going to get you on B complex. Let's support you maybe with the GABA calm and the relax and regulate and the calm and clear. So you have kind of the trifecta of the mood stability. And then maybe let's do some clinical testing and see if appropriate to do a wean. And if doing a wean, that's where then you could bring in that 5-HTP building block as you're reducing the medication. Otherwise, 5-HTP would be an inappropriate tool while on the medication because that could drive excessive serotonin syndrome. Because the big trick with these medications are that, you know, SSRI drugs are one of those receptor players if we're talking about a function. So it literally stands for selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And so these drugs have a halogen backbone. Um, Chemically, they're more reactive halogens, so they always displace the less uh, potent. And so we see the fluoride in the medications displacing iodine. And this is a huge driver then for the need for Synthroid or levothyroxine or hypothyroidism and one of the mechanisms of weight gain with the um, SSRI classification of, of drugs. And a lot of physicians don't put that together. And Mm -hmm. so iodine would be a very safe supplemental support or to go on the thyroid optimizer, which also has zinc and chromium in there and ginseng. So you're getting some energy and mood support there, um, which maybe would then help that, that downstream side effect, which is just one. We also know SSRIs deplete melatonin. So that's then calling for maybe a benzo or a more severe addictive pharmacological intervention. If sleep issues are starting to be seen. And then that's that oxidative stress depletion because melatonin is a powerful antioxidant. So we're again, creating kind of this polypharmacy and we'd like to, in a functional medicine approach, 
be pro-vigilant with that and, and um, have the foresight of the pillars that could be impacted and then build up the deficiency trends before removing that seat of the stool, right? And unfortunately, that just doesn't happen in the conventional model where none of that is discussed with you. And, and you know, even if it were, I don't think that there would be the forethought to be like, hey, let's just add a B-complex along with this or try it for three months instead of. And there's a lot of clinical studies, actually, sure. especially, I mean, even if we're thinking of like use of SAMe yeah. um, with SSRI drugs, but but there are a lot of roles of methyl donors and B vitamin complexes supporting optimizing mood in synergy with medications likely due to that reason. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the beauty is we'd be also supporting neurotransmitters, mood function, all yes. of the things. Yeah. Um, so... What if we're treating a symptom of a nutrient deficiency with a drug to block the th- symptom, and then we drive more nutrient imbalance and thus need for more medications? I mean, yes. that can happen, right? I, I think it's all too common, right? You know, that's where we see this polypharmacy. And so we really want to when we're thinking of why this happens in the first place, it's because the prescribing physician isn't thinking about why. Why is this patient presenting to me with this said disorder? And it really starts in the terrain. And so by that, I mean, like if we're thinking of the system again of the body, we think of the terrain as like the soil, the environment. So this is our our gut flora. This is our nutrient status and so much more. So all disease essentially starts in the terrain or in the system, in the foundation. And this is impacting as early as birth through childhood, which is the initial imprint on that terrain. We know children born to nutrient depleted mothers and those children that are exposed to toxins through the birth process, um, that these create antecedents or predisposing environment or tone for systemic dysfunction. We're setting up for oxidative stress, depleted nutrient status, and a gamut of undesirable symptoms. So we're seeing 69% of babies exposed to antibiotics before age two. And we talked about that microbiome connection to the entire immune system setup. Also, babies before the age of two are being exposed to a lot of schmackschmines, which also mm-hmm. depletes antioxidant status and stresses the immune system. So if they're on antibiotics and their immune system is already shot from the microbiological influence, they don't have that good gut flora, mom isn't providing maybe breast milk and that has probiotics in it or supplementing with a probiotic on addition to the breast milk, um, then we're starting to see a pretty significant terrain impact of dysfunction and nutrient deficiency. And unfortunately, of those almost 70% of babies exposed to antibiotics before age two, over 30% of those antibiotics prescribed are deemed unnecessary. And just a single course of antibiotics can wipe out the microbiome. And like I said, that impacts immune health because the gut-associated lymphatic tissue is there. That impacts our neurotransmitters because we know If we're dealing with dysbiosis, we're more prone towards epinephrine and suboptimal serotonin and GABA. We are going to be more prone towards weight gain with a dysbiotic gut or not having favorable good gut flora. And we can even see damage to our DNA and RNA synthesis and repair mechanisms based on a single dose of antibiotics. Yep. 
Um, and then that infant might end up with GI symptoms and then get prescribed a PPI. So just getting like right into it. Yeah. 50 to 70% of infants are actually prescribed a PPI. And then this hits B vitamin deficiency, which further hits the neurotransmitters, right? Um, we see calcium deficiency as we talked about in that episode on PPIs. So in adults, we're worried about bone density, especially in the aging process, but growth and development with calcium and calcium depletion can drive anxiety and have issues with like charley horses and muscle contractions zinc deficiency and magnesium so you know we've seen in this past decade that these ppis are a causative factor in heart disease as we discussed because of depletion of magnesium we know that the ppis can drive arrhythmia again the bone density but if we're looking at the kiddos here the issue is that we can see this impact impacting behavior which then leads to the third cascade Mm -hmm. of drugs which come as early as um, adolescence sure um and unfortunately there's quite a lag of like 10 to 20 years in terms of realization with you know fda awareness and and um, physician and public consideration on medications and side effects which you know again always best to start with treating the root cause work with nutrients and work with something your body is going to understand what to do with yeah that actually it requires versus blocking or interfering and that's the thing is now the fda has come out and spoken about the link of ppis with heart disease and bone density uh but ppis have been out for over 20 years right <laughs> so right. here we are and they're still being prescribed and then there's probably gonna be another decade to shift that intervention and it's going to be too late for a lot of people right and i wonder if then just the ppi gets prescribed along with you know maybe maybe you get told to take calcium for the bone density but maybe you get a statin along with it for the heart disease piece and that further depletes unfortunately yeah no um, doubt Okay, so um, back to the kids' example. So yes. um, they go on those PPIs, and and that would then you know further stress the heart. They have low B six, they have magne- low magnesium, and then maybe we're seeing that constipation and difficulty concentrating, and they'd end up on. Ritalin or yep. <laughs> one of the ADHD medications. Right. So methylphenolate or Ritalin, and then we're seeing more depletion of magnesium, higher histamine levels, which means respiratory stress, asthma. Um, we're seeing albuterol um, prescribed early now in the reactive airway. And we're also seeing then with the steroid inhalers plus the stimulus adrenal insufficiency Mm -hmm. which is coming which interferes with sexual hormone function and so much more and then you know the albuterol itself is going to drive deficiency of potassium and phosphate and magnesium so a lot of electrolyte imbalance going on here yes and such a slippery slope too with 6.1 million children between 2 and 18 um, with an ADHD drug medication And, and I think that's just on the rise. We've talked about um, in prior episodes, which I will link in the show notes, a lot of systemic concerns as far as like less movement and activity and having really unreasonable expectations in the classroom for them to sit still all day. And all of that can contribute. But either way, even if they're in like farm school or a setting that has physical labor throughout the day, there are nutrients that could support optimal health and prevent those symptoms in the first place. 
most definitely. So bringing in L-carnitine, which is an amino acid, bringing in more red meat to the child's diet, you know, right away, that's going to help to support the cardiovascular system and also support with the muscle mass and the energy production in the body. That's going to support if they are going in a, a light nutritional ketosis to support the neurological function, carnitine is required in ketone production. Um, we know that calcium, the osteofactors, I have a tablet for a lot of children, especially those that have had, um, of course, like a broken bone mm-hmm. or um, issues with growth and development, or um, we're looking at tracking delayed growth uh, plates and such. Osteofactors is a really powerful tool there. Uh, B complex, like we've mentioned time and time again, relax and regulate for the magnesium that I've harped on as a deficiency trend. And then maybe, and that's going to help with relaxation and sleep as well as releasing that neuromuscular tension that the child might be holding. And then you may even consider melatonin to support them throughout the night. And a big pillar that I'd bring in is the kids biotic or restore baseline probiotic, because again, the microbiome plays such a role as a pillar to this whole cascade. And that's why we bring in the kids biotic as early as, you know, 12 plus months, broken up a tablet. And um, I'm pretty sure Noah's going to be transferring to that pretty soon. I know. I was just First thinking birthday. about um, I just ordered a couple of bottles of the baby probiotics. I better rip through them because yep. he'll be ready. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Getting that, those top two teeth. Um, okay, so going back real quick on our list um, to the top prescribed drug, which was a statin drug, let's hit on the necessity of CoQ10 with statin drugs and why, in case y'all have not listened to last episode all about CoQ10. Yes. So I'm going to kind of glaze through this and turn this into our sponsor for today's episode uh, because we did not fit a sponsor in so that I could highlight CoQ10 because last week's episode was all about CoQ10. So it was an hour deep dive. Definitely go check it out if you hit any of these areas of focus. So the big concern with statins and CoQ10 is that the statins block the HMG-CoA reductase pathway, which is the same pathway that produces CoQ10. And um, we can also see deficiency of vitamin E along this pathway, which negatively further impacts cardiovascular function. We know that CoQ10 can actually reduce lipid oxidation. It can regulate arrhythmias or irregular heart rate. It can regulate elevated blood pressure. It can support insulin sensitivity. It can support healthy cholesterol profile, so increasing HDL and lowering the LDL. It can reduce oxidative stress systemically and enhance antioxidant status. So all of these are huge mechanisms of what drive heart disease. Then we also know that CoQ10 can play a dynamic role in the world of neurological conditions, especially if we're thinking of multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and neurological conditions, including things we talked in the episode on schizophrenia, anxiety, depression, because if your brain is inflamed and has higher reactive oxygen species, antioxidant basically sequesters that heat and a cooled brain is optimal cognitive function and mood regulation. And then we also hit on the role of CoQ10 in infertility, um, which is huge. We know that CoQ10 supplementation has been shown in double-blind randomized controlled trials 
to enhance egg quality as well as sperm morphology, motility, and uh, viability. So healthier fertility for both men and women with use of this powerhouse. Um, so let's talk about CoQ10 Complex. If you'd like to check it out, listen to last episode and at AllieMillerRD.com, you can use the code CoQ10 Podcast and you can get 15% off of your first bottle. That's CoQ10 Podcast for 15% off over at AllieMillerRD.com. Let's just round out this true sponsorship ad, if you will, Becky, and talk about why Naturally Nourish provide the best supplements on the market with potency, purity, and efficacy at a value that you cannot beat. Yes, y'all know that supplements are very powerful tools and using them under the guidance of a trusted practitioner in a potent and effective delivery, they really can deliver profound health benefits. We are so passionate about empowering you guys with how to use these pharmaceutical grade formulas to yield clinical outcomes in your body. And we provide protocols, detailed videos over on our YouTube and on the supplement pages themselves, um, supplement quizzes to do a deep dive in terms of what supplements are going to work best for your body all over at AllieMillerRD.com. And of course, the podcast is a fabulous resource (laughs) to learn more about without having a functional medicine practitioner that you're investing the big bucks in. You get, you know, direct connections of the what's and why's with these episodes. So the naturally nourished formulas promise potency, which means that you're going to get a powerful dosage per serving. We promise clinical results, which means that all of our products are actually pharmaceutical grade due to the fact that we hold medical licenses. We are able to access you to these products that are not available over the counter. You're going to see synergistic formulas. So each product has a specific form of the featured ingredient to ensure best absorption. And I'll close with the CoQ10 complex and what I mean by that. Um, All of our supplements are going to be tested third party for potency and purity. So we test for mold, toxic metals, and contaminants, as well as confirming the active ingredient in the stated amount of the label through the expiration date of each lot on each bottle that you receive. And we have an ID guarantee for the colony forming units of our probiotics. And finally, all of these supplements in the Naturally Nourished line are pure, meaning that they are non-GMO, they are free of additives, dyes, preservatives, soy-free, gluten-free, and more. So let's Let's talk about the the synergy. I'll have you maybe share on that CoQ10 complex. Sure. So um, there's a lot of debate, I think, in the supplement world about using ubiquinone versus ubiquinol. And um, it turns out actually that ubiquinone, which is the, I think, less talked about and hopefully more up and coming um, form of, of CoQ10, it is the reduced form. So it's the form that's actually going to be found in our cells is going to be more bioavailable, but the stability is really the issue with encapsulating it. And that's why a lot of formulas on the market don't likely use this more bioavailable and closer to what your body actually produces or bioidentical form um, is that it's very hard to stabilize. So we've done the legwork of the research to ensure 
that our CoQ10 complex comes to you in a form that is bioavailable and is stable. So our formula uses zinc oxide to help to preserve and also to prevent um, photo damage or damage from light or, or sun. Um, our capsule is actually lined with turmeric. So it's this like really pretty light orange um, gel capsule. It's like turmeric with a layer of sunscreen. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Um, and it also has vitamin E in there to help to stabilize. It's got MCT oil for a fat soluble delivery. Um, and then a little bit of lemon oil, which gives a nice, bright, refreshing flavor, but also further is going to enhance that bioavailability and absorption and allow it to be delivered to you in the most intact form possible. Yes. So by doing so in that synergistic effect, we're enhancing, as Becky's saying, bioavailability basically means when you take it, when you swallow it, your body's able to use it. And that's the most important thing. That's why we're investing in supplements is so that what we put in our mouth and swallow is going to help. And we've seen clinical studies across the board in all of those stated conditions with the CoQ10 complex. So definitely if you want to take advantage, it's CoQ10 podcast, and that's 15% off your first bottle. All right. Um, going back to heart health priorities, starting with CoQ10 complex and, and, you know, B complex with those methylated Bs, I think is really important too. Um, and then when we're assessing cardiovascular risk, maybe let's cover what values we want to look at, because like we said before, demonizing cholesterol is really off the mark and harmful and therefore you know a statin can be all the more harmful by just lowering cholesterol and ignoring why you know our cholesterol is elevated in the first place or ignoring why our crp is off the charts sure so we really like to look at heart disease in the sense of what are the mechanisms of action you know so we look at lab values like the lp little a um, lipoprotein particle a it's also known as and this is a stickiness factor in the blood basically um, the coagulation factor of our platelet aggregation or buildup um, so this is a factor for stroke that we see and it tends to trend with inflammation at some level we do look at fasting lipids but we like like a lipoprotein particle assessment. So looking at how many small dense LDL molecules there are. And then I also like to look at an oxidized LDL, which CoQ10 has been clinically proven to reduce that lipid peroxidation. And that's the factor that plays a role of driving those macrophages in to drive foam cell production and then make plaque. So if the LDL molecule itself is stable, it's not concerning. And that's why we don't just demonize LDL. We don't just focus on the lower the better with the statin drug we want to look at the oxidized ldl and the small dense ldls we also want to look at homocysteine so this is a marker of vascular inflammation we want to look at systemic inflammation with an hscrp a c-reactive protein we want to look at the blood sugar metabolism so a fasting insulin and a hemoglobin a1c and then maybe even an omega-3 ratio or value to further support so I will also put a link beyond the micronutrient test for you listeners, a link to our cardiometabolic panel, which looks at all of these things. And again, when you purchase a lab on AllieMillerRD.com, that comes with a customized email review and then strategic supplement recommendations. And you do fill out a form. You don't become a client, but you fill out a form with what medications and supplements you are taking. So we can take that into consideration with our interventions. 
So again, kind of taking a pause back and looking at a functional approach. When we're looking at heart disease, we're looking at regulating inflammation. Okay. So if we think of the vessels of our body, like garden hoses, if you will, you want them to be lubricated and elasticized, not rigid and oxidized and inflamed. So regulating inflammation. And if inflammation is the highest risk factor, like your CRP is up and that LPA is up, um, and the oxidized LDL is up. That's where we look at that anti-inflammatory bundle and probably layering in the CoQ10. We're looking at reducing blood sugar and blood pressure because that's what puts tension on the vessel. Those sugars are very abrasive. I'm like rubbing my knuckles on my palm here. Um, the sugars are going to create damage on the vascular level. That endothelial um, level of the vessel gets damaged or the blood pressure makes micro tears. So we could look at using berberine boost and a keto low carb diet. Um, we could also look at the GABA calm and CoQ10 in the blood pressure space. Um, we know that berberine itself actually has not just immune stimulating properties, but it's also a lipid lowering agent. So we've seen impact in just three months of use, reducing cholesterol by upwards of 29%, triglycerides by 35%, and LDL by 25%. So, you know, that could both lower A1C and your lipid profile, mm. allowing your doctor to give you that good pat on the back, but you've seen improved muscle mass and you've seen favorable insulin signaling and powerful antioxidant, especially in our berberine boost, which has the golden thread and the traditional Chinese herb blend to help with the efficacy. Sure. And maybe you've even seen a great shift in your microbiome, right? And that's the final part, yeah. right? Of a driver of heart disease. So we know that those macrophages and foam cells to create plaque formation are mediated by white blood cell response and that's the connection of infection and heart disease or periodontal disease oral health and heart disease is when the biome or the bacteria regulation is off that drives higher inflammation and higher plaque formation so the rebuild spectrum would be appropriate for the diversity of the biome or maybe doing the probiotic challenge with the restore baseline and just across the board, high antioxidants are going to reduce that oxidative stress. And that's where we get double dips in some of these things. Like that anti-inflammatory bundle has the cell antiox and the super turmeric already. And then we're just, again, layering in that CoQ10 complex. Yes. I feel like that is all its own <laughs> episode. Um, yeah, that be. was nerdy. That was yep. cardiovascular disease. Oh, good. We'll, we'll include that in the write-up. There's yep. a deep dive. Yep. Um, so let's round out today, just kind of rapid fire on common drugs and deficiency considerations. So I think big picture here for our listeners is, you know, preventing the need of a medication in the first place by practicing good metabolic health, regulating stress, eating a clean, real whole food diet, exercising, um, but if you must go on a medication or, or have been on a medication for some time period, I think it's really important to strongly consider offsetting or supporting your body's needs with targeted nutrients. Yes. And I think if we're thinking of a trifecta, the lifestyle is followed by targeted nutritional supplements, which are followed by if needed medication, you know, right. so I would say before seeking, um, look at addressing the symptoms of concern by maybe doing some of these assessments like the micronutrient test and so much more to really understand your priorities and understand what your body's asking for in the first place versus that blocking band-aid approach. Yeah. 
Okay. So let's go into kind of just some of these drugs and um, the deficiencies that they draw, as well as potential health problems that we see with chronic or long-term use. So uh, we'll open with anti-inflammatories, and this is going to be rapid fire. I'm going to try my hardest. So anti-inflammatories in the world of steroids. So corticosteroids, we talked about some of them in the world of inhalers, um, but thinking of also oral corticosteroids like prednisone, for instance, um, we do see a high deficiency of calcium with steroid use. Uh, we see deficiency of vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, vitamin C, B6, B12, folate, selenium, and chromium. So a lot of metabolic influence there. Um, we see a lot of electrolyte imbalance there. We can see weakened immunity and slower wound healing. We can see sexual dysfunction with use of these medications. We can see depression, sleep disturbances, and cardiovascular disease risk, as well as uh, elevated blood sugar, cholesterol, triglycerides, and diabetic risk from that glucocorticoid spilling blood sugar, and also lacking the magnesium and zinc and B vitamins and chromium to support the blood sugar metabolism that's elevated from the drug. So again, one of those double heavy hitters from the intervention. Right. And a lot of those nutrient deficiencies and the health problems you mentioned could drive more inflammation in the future. So once you pull out the dam of that steroid, you're likely going to be hit with this wall of inflammation. Totally. Um, what about NSAIDs in this world of anti-inflammatory. We kind of hit that one a little bit. Yes. So NSAIDs would also have been shown in studies to deplete the folic acid. Uh, they also, as we know, create stress to the gut. So we're going to see glutamine def deficiency as well as deficiency of nutrients that the gut manufactures. So that could trend into that vitamin K and biotin world and create more susceptibility to food inflammatory response or food sensitivity. So then and that can create the whole level of mm -hmm. inflammatory processes and whatnot. But use of NSAIDs have been tied to birth defects as well as cervical dysplasia, anemia, and cardiovascular disease. And then the last classification in the anti-inflammatories would be like the aspirin and the cyacylates and um, or silicic acid, if you will. And these are going to drive deficiency of calcium, folate. So folate is a heavy hitter throughout the, the board. We've heard that for all of these. And remember also, we said the NSAIDs, the acetaminophen and the aspirin are going to drive interference of our overall antioxidant capacity. So we aren't, we're only listening, listing vitamins and minerals mm -hmm. predominantly here, but all the antioxidants in that world would get hit as well. Um, and then iron and B5, we see use of aspirin tied to also lower immune system function, easier bruising and poor wound healing. We see osteoporosis and tooth decay. So thinking in the children world that like baby aspirin for throughout the entire teething process right. that could be recommended could actually interfere with their immune health and drive tooth decay. We also can see cardiovascular disease, weakness, fatigue, hair loss, and um, possible problems with skin, liver, and nervous system. Sure, and if you're put on aspirin as like a daily blood thinner, that would be even more concerning of that daily use. That's a really good point. Yep. Even though it's a baby 81 milligram right. aspirin and maybe it's coated, um, again, you can get similar blood thinning and anticoagulative effects from super turmeric or, or EPA oil. DHA yeah. extra. Yeah. And those are actually supporting your body right. versus driving right. deficiency. Yep. I yep. could say it again and again and again in 27 yep. different ways how you slice it. Yeah. Um, what about diuretics? That's a pretty common one that we think of 
deficiency and especially imbalance in electrolytes. Most definitely. So we think of like the loop diuretics, like, um, you know, LASIK and, and LASIKs. And then we think of the thiazoles, um, which is like hydrochlorothiazide and such. Um, those are not, uh, potassium sparing. So it's worth noting potassium is one of the big ones, of course, as well as calcium and magnesium. So all of those electrolytes and sodium can get hit. And then we can also see magnesium, the B vitamins, vitamin C, zinc, and even CoQ10 as a deficiency trend. So with use of these diuretics, we can see osteoporosis, heart and blood pressure irregularities. Hey, what if all of these things associated with aging have to do with the fact that 70% of Americans are on at least one right. pharmaceutical drug? Because I'm hearing all of these natural aging conditions, you know, right. it's interesting. Right. Um, we can also see cardiovascular problems, asthma, um, more dynamic cramps and PMS, um, because again, the electrolyte imbalance, we can see depression, sleep disturbances, which I know is huge on the rise, irritability, memory loss, muscle weakness, and even edema, um, which even though that's what the diuretic is supposed to prevent, we can see weakened immune function, irregular heartbeat, muscle weakness, and um, dehydration, as well as loss of appetite, but a lot of neurological like memory issues and brain fog, which also tends to kind of, that's normal aging process. I'm using air quotes, right? But actually you've been on hydrochlorothiazide for 20 years, and that's why this is happening. And then there are also potassium sparing diuretics, which you'd see less deficiency trend. Typically those you are just going to see the calcium folate and zinc. And so some of that overlap of, of symptoms there. I think we hit cardiovascular drugs, but yeah. in there, you know, we won't go back into statins, um, but in there, there is different categories of more of the hypertensive medications. So there's the antihypertensives, which would deplete B6, zinc, B1, and CoQ10. So again, that arrhythmia, that dysfunction, the higher lipid oxidation, all the things that CoQ10 does, you're going to be at risk for if it's deficient in your body. ACE inhibitors are known um, to drive deficiency of zinc, which can impact wound healing, immunity, um, even that sense of smell and taste and, and sexual function. Zinc plays a role with estrogen metabolism and testosterone. Um, and then beta blockers, the other category of the um, kind of blood pressure regulators in the cardiovascular world are known to have pretty substantial impact on CoQ10, which again, cardiovascular problems, weakened immune system, chronic fatigue. Right. Right. Um, and then the world of diabetic drugs, we can see CoQ10 there too with metformin. Yeah. CoQ10 as well as, uh, vitamin B12 and folate. We think of the big energy factories. Mm -hmm. Um, so we know that that metformin can deplete metabolic function. And so this can interfere with weight loss as well as energy regulation in the body. And we know metformin also has a lot of GI distress as side effects, but based on these nutrient deficiencies, we can see fatigue, weakness, increased cardiovascular risk, weakened immune system. I already said cardiovascular problems, but that's kind of a couple times throughout here with all those nutrients, birth defects with the folate, um, and also that cervical dysplasia and anemia, as well as cancer risk. And then the sulfonurias, also CoQ10 deficiency. So that's why we did our add on CoQ10. Are you guys yep. catching a hint yep. yet? <laughs> Um, and then what about some of the class of like antiviral drugs? Yeah. So in our antivirals, we're going to see depletion in carnitine, which plays a role with our mitochondrial function. And when carnitine is deficient, we're seeing increased, um, 
or abnormal blood lipid profile, increased liver enzymes or abnormal liver function, and abnormal glucose control. Remember, again, carnitine is under demand in production of ketones in the mitochondria. Um, and then we are looking at minerals like copper, zinc, and, and calcium and magnesium and potassium, and then B12 as big hits there. Okay, so a lot of deficiencies and a lot of overlap, um, especially in, like you said, like the antioxidant world, the B vitamin world um, from a lot of these medications and more overlap if you're taking multiple medications. Yeah, so I would say to consider if you're inspired on exploring your drug nutrient deficiencies or if you're dealing with a symptom and you're at that cusp of a prescribed drug and not sure that you want to take it, maybe first give yourself the opportunity of a good solid six weeks starting with a bundle from the naturally nourished supplement line based on that said area of focus you know so maybe in the world of instead of NSAIDs and aspirin and acetaminophen starting instead with the anti-inflammatory bundle and if it's more tissue regulated um, the anti-inflammatory bundle has cellular antiox which is that N-acetylcysteine and glutathione you also are going to get the super turmeric in there and the EPA DHA extra so that's going to be supportive for actually cooling the gut versus creating that gut distress. And then you might even layer in inflammasome if it's more of like a tissue injury or if you know you have that elevated LP little a or clotting factor. We've been using inflammasome for individuals with the long hauling symptoms from um, fighting a pathogen or a virus um, to prevent that clotting formation and protect the heart. And then if you must go on an NSAID drug, um, using the GI lining support, at least as a buffer or barrier, that's going to prevent that destruction to the gut and the ulcerations or gastric bleeds mm -hmm. that we can see from use of the Aleve or the Advil and the naproxen sodium and such. So you could use both the anti-inflammatories as a replacement, as well as supplement strategy to protect against the insult from said medication. Sure, and if you had to use it short term, then the GI lining I think would be a great tool. Yes, and then in the world of blood pressure, rather than worrying about those beta blockers and the ACE inhibitors and the diuretics and all of the kit and caboodle that can come with that, I think we've harped well on CoQ10. There's so many studies that indicate just 100 to 200 milligrams, which is one to two capsules, um, can reduce blood pressure. And we know that bringing in Relax and Regulate with the magnesium bisglycinate would be very supportive as a blood pressure regulator, also supporting cardiovascular health and metabolism and getting that deep restful sleep. Uh, and then GABACalm is another one that can have that inhibitory impact on our neurotransmitter side, but also aids in that vessel uh, dilation and that blood pressure reduction. Sure. Um, what about the world of, of thyroid medication? I know, you know, a lot of people are on thyroid replacement, very, very common, and maybe not even thought of as a, a medication, more of like a hormone replacement. Yeah. So, you know, again, Synthroid is going to interfere with calcium. Um, there's also that halogen backbone component com competing with iodine, driving iodine deficiency, and you require iodine for thyroid hormone 
formation. In fact, T3 and T4 is defining the amount of molecules of iodine. So you deiodinize your T4 to make the active T3, um, but iodine is required in the manufacturing of thyroid hormone. So this is where we can see increase of prescription medication, especially because a lot of people in the U.S. are deficient in iodine to begin with. Um, we would get iodine from our sea vegetables and um, we would want to eat seafood. So fish are a great source of iodine as are oysters and, and shellfish. And um, we see in the thyroid optimizer formula, we provide you all of the minerals that support that activation, the deiodinization, as well as the iodine itself. So you're going to get iodine, selenium, zinc, um, as I mentioned, chromium as well. So getting that blood sugar sensitivity and enhancement. And um, also you're getting in there the tyrosine and tyrosine is the amino acid that is necessary to build thyroxine and thyroxine is your active thyroid hormone. So the primary medication, Synthroid is the name brand for levothyroxine, which is the synthetic of thyroxine. So the thyroid optimizer gives you that tyrosine building block amino acid plus all these minerals to do the work. I've had people ask me if it can be a medication replacement. And again, I always say build up the legs of the stool before you pull out the seat. Mm -hmm. So you could bring in the thyroid optimizer alongside your medication and then work towards medication reduction or wean. You wouldn't just do a, a one, two swap out. But if you're um, put in a place of a, a medication being recommended and you haven't started one yet, you might sure. bring in the thyroid optimizer and then retest in 90 days. Yep. If your levels are just trending like a little bit kind of borderline functional low, I think that could be a really good tool. Yes. So I hope you all had a couple aha moments in today's episode. Definitely for those of you listening, you know, in your thirties and forties or even fifties, this is a great one to even consider for our aging parents. Um, as many of them are getting into this world of polypharmacy of that five plus medications prescribed daily to really start to think downstream on how you can support their body. And one thing we haven't mentioned today, which I think is definitely worth emphasizing is our wellness essentials bundle. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is just a really good entry place that would support with targeted nutrition, um, with the multi-defense or the multi-defense with iron. Um, you know, that's going to provide us the good multi-mineral methylated B complex and some antioxidant support right off the bat with with those phyto compounds that are in the tablet itself. So multi-defense and then the wellness essentials has the EPA DHA extra. And what's the third component of that? The probiotic. Yes. The yep. restore baseline yep. probiotic. So I think there's a lot of, again, distress of antibiotic use with the world of UTIs as parents age and whatnot. Those three are really a good starting foundation. And it comes with the multi-defense without iron. Actually, we, we do the multi-defense with iron a la carte. Um, but if we're thinking of aging population, that'd be appropriate for all yep. as we really just do the multi-defense with iron for individuals that are menstruating or that have a known anemic status or iron deficiency. Awesome. So we hope that you love today's episode. Go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. If, if you have not taken our supplement quiz, this might be also a great place to start. Or like I said, explore the bundles and always, always using food as medicine as the foundation. We know that a low glycemic phytocompound rich that's high in plant-based antioxidants and clean sourced proteins at every meal is essential foundation for optimal nutrition. If that's 
confusing or overwhelming to you, check out Alto, our archived keto class available for just $99. And stay tuned for our naturally nourished food as medicine for the whole family launch coming in the fall. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.